Well, we're going to get into the Word this morning, and um, next week is Easter. I'm very excited about Easter and what we'll be sharing. Um, we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, inviting. We don't have this number goal, but we do count people because people do count. And it is a measure of you know, one of the ways that we can track a number of things. But here's, here's the important thing. I, I want to populate heaven. I want, I want to help people in the meantime to hear the message of what Jesus has done for them. And so uh, next week is just, there is just no better time really to make that happen. And so I really encourage you to invite people as we've been talking about next weekend. And just for Easter weekend, we will have a Saturday evening service as well at uh, 6 p.m. And then our, our three Sunday morning service. And you just look around you. Uh, I need some of y'all to go to that Saturday night service. Otherwise, we're going to have people sitting on my lap and on the platform and, and carrying people around and stuff, you know. But um, which will be a great problem. We anticipate that. The solution is not for you to stay away, okay? The, you need to be here at your church home and be celebrating. We've got wonderful music planned, and, and uh, I'm excited about the message. It's just going to be an awesome thing. And, and as we celebrate him, I'm, I believe he's going to show up in grand style just to bless his people. And so um, next week, don't forget that and be inviting. And then, and then some of you pray about going to that Saturday night service just for next week, okay? Okay. And then the following week, I'm going to start a brand new series, super important series called Pray for a Change. And that kind of has a double meaning there, but pray for a change. And uh, you just do not want to miss that. Um, the people of God must know how to pray. And uh, I think a lot of people have some wrong concepts about prayer. And you'd be surprised. Well, you wouldn't be surprised because you live with you. Um, how often that we don't pray when we should pray. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to be delving into that right after Easter, so you want to be part of that. Well, let's jump right in this morning. Um, Palm Sunday, uh, and, and we're going to give you on the way out today a, a strip of, of palm tree, and we've got some crosses set up. We've got our big cross out front and out back, and then we've got a cross in the hallway over there and, and then back in this entrance here. And uh, I'll give you a little instruction about that later. But this message, hopefully the takeaway and the meaning for that, we want to symbolize something. And I want you to just be able to express your thanks at the cross and just in some way be able to say thank you. And, and my prayer is, is that what I'll share with you today will just evoke within you a new gratitude of what Jesus has done for us because God loved you so much. Amen. Well, Palm Sunday is, it triggers the beginning, the traditional beginning of Holy Week where a man named Jesus, was God himself, came to earth, took on human form, lived among us, lived a sinless life, and then willingly, think, about, think on that, willingly went to the cross to die for the sins of all mankind, your sins and my sins. And then we'll have Good Friday this, this coming Friday. It's a day that we mark that when Jesus was crucified. And if you think about it a little bit, you go, well, Jesus got crucified on that day. What makes that day good? I'll tell you what makes that day good is he chose to take our sins upon him. He chose to die upon the cross for us so that we could be forgiven. And the fact that we're forgiven because of what he did, uh, at least one of the words is good. Good Friday. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for what he's done for us. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning as well. And then next week, of course, is Easter and we celebrate the victory lap of it all and where Jesus is risen from the dead. I've entitled this message this morning, Destination Jerusalem, Destination Jerusalem. And we're going to see that Jesus' whole life and ministry 
was focused. He was pressing toward Jerusalem. Let's pick up in John's gospel. It's in all of the gospels and a little different viewpoint in each. But John renders it this way. The next day, a great multitude, notice that, a great multitude that had come to the feast, which was Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to, to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Will you read that with a little bit of heart with me this morning? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Of Israel. Then Jesus, when he'd found a young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And Palm Sunday is a big, big deal. And as I said, Jesus is focused on getting there. That's his destination, Jerusalem. This is one of the first times that Jesus has been to Jerusalem since the very beginning of his ministry. Jerusalem is the most holy of cities. I do not know of a a city that's been more contended for, more fought over, um, and it's because of its most holy of cities. Um, In it, in this day, was the temple, which was the very heart of the Jewish faith. They were celebrating Passover, which is an incredibly important festival for them. And as a result of that, people would come there, and the city was buzzing. The city had just swollen. It was packed. It was was just... uh, pumping with just thousands of additional religious pilgrims that had made their way in, into Jerusalem here. It was truly the festival of festivals for the Jews, and there's so much excitement and energy going on. And Jesus knew that this would be the place and this would be the time. This would be the climax and the culmination of his, of his whole earthly ministry. It, it would be here. And that would fulfill prophecy, and it will fulfill the plan of God. Now, let me speak to prophecy here just for a moment. When God says something's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. And when God says something's going to happen like this, like this, like this, it's going to happen just as he said it would happen. And we're going to see, and it is so interlaced with this, so many things, uh, just about all of the passages that re- relate to this in one way or another we talk about so that it might be fulfilled as it was written according to this prophecy. All of those things. And, and God is doing something. It's culminating. It's coming down to this time and to this place. Something's going on in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus understood what that was. He knew that this would be the place. He'd been telling his disciples and his followers all along that I've got to get to Jerusalem. Everything he did, everything he taught, everything he was about was moving toward Jerusalem. We find in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, and that even speaks of prophetic there, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In Luke uh, 13, verse 22, it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. There was purpose everywhere that he went, but the whole time, his internal compass was just focused toward Jerusalem. And then in Luke 13, 33, he said just a few days prior to this, Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem, which also is connected with with prophecy. Jesus had been moving toward Jerusalem his entire life. And he had a single mission. Don't don't miss this. He had a single mission. Jesus Christ was born to die. He was born to die. And this 
was where and this was when his mission would be fulfilled. And again, it's the beginning of this holy week, the most important week in the history of of the human race. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, and let me just back up a little bit. And I, when I was researching this week, I went back and looked at some religious art and drawings and paintings and, and different depictions that people have done of Palm Sunday. And, and while all of that is true, all of that is not complete. And we see him riding in on the, on the donkey's cold and people waving palm branches and you know, all of the things, the streets lined and all of that going on, crying out to him, this triumphal entry. And let me tell you that this is not really the triumphal entry. That's going to come in Revelation chapter 7. And, and they'll be waving palm branches there to the scriptures. But it will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every kindred, every people. Of them, people that have, have received him, that will be the triumphal entry. And this is a precursor. This is a, a reflection of what is to come. But you've got to know that as he entered into Jerusalem on that day, that's just the archway. That's just the doorway. And the, quote, parade of that day, that was, that was not the main event. That's not what all it was about. Just like there's so many things that you have to pay attention to the entrance. Christmas is the entrance of Jesus into the world, ultimately so that he could die and be raised again from the dead. He had to come in the right way so that he could bring us with him. And so this entrance now into Jerusalem is connected to that. But as he, as he enters, let's don't just get stuck on Palm Sunday. Where was he going? And that's why I've entitled this Destination Jerusalem. And he knew what Jerusalem meant to him. And he's on his way there. He had his purpose in mind. It was totally clear to him. But those around him, not everybody around him, was it so clear? First of all, let's look at the disciples. The disciples, although they were with him constantly, they missed a lot. They missed a lot. And so, and let me just add this in, that um, after he's resurrected from the dead, he actually spent uh, 40 days, almost almost six weeks with them, filling in the blanks for them because there are things that they just did not get. Even in some of the gospels, you'll see at the time we didn't know this, but you know, they'll, they'll relate back to that as they fill in the blanks. The disciples, as they saw him enter and all that was going on, they probably said, yes, this is it. This is it. This is the fulfilling of Zechariah 9, where it was prophesied that uh, a Messiah would come, the king would come, and the king would set up his, his kingdom. And people knew that prophecy. How else did you have that whole crowd lined up saying the same thing in unison? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. They, they knew that. They were looking for their Messiah. And... So the disciples says, this is it. And they probably amongst themselves, and there's some evidence of this, they were saying, but I wonder how this will go down. I wonder how this is going to happen. So they probably thought this way it could happen because they were, they were very involved in this as well. Maybe he'll just stir up the crowd. He'll, he'll really get the crowd going and they'll rush the Roman praetorium and it'll be a people's revolution and we'll set up a new kingdom. Or maybe, and I like this one better, Maybe he'll just call down fire from heaven and burn them up and just consume all these Romans and the heavy hand and all the people that are, that, are, that are holding us down and holding us back. He'll just vaporize them all. We've seen him do some powerful stuff. He could probably do this. And they so believed that this was now about to be set up and he had to correct them on it. Even after the resurrection, he still had to correct them on it. Uh, but they, they so believed it that they got their moms involved. 
How many of you know this is a game changer when your mom gets involved? Okay. okay. And so they're posturing, they're arguing. They're, uh, who's going to sit where? Mom, tell him, ask him, where am I going to be? You know, and you've got all of this going on because they thought, hey, this is, about to, this is about to happen right here. And they misunderstood. They misunderstood. Later, of course, they got it. So the disciples kind of missed it. And then you've got the crowd. And the crowd is... They hear that he's coming and they line the streets, as the scripture said, a great multitude. I mean, a mass of people. And they were saying, in essence, here he comes. His reputation preceded him. You know, it is estimated that Jesus' uh, entire earthly ministry happened within about 8 to 11 square miles. And word traveled fast. And how many of you know, they did not have social media. They didn't have texting and Twitter and stuff like that. There were no people, you know, get a selfie with me and Jesus. Just healed me of leprosy. Peter cut my ear off. Jesus put it back on just, just real quick. You know, you didn't have any of that going on. But word spread. Word spread fast. There's one time where he uh, cast demons out of a guy and got him back in his right mind. He crossed over a sea, a, a, a large lake. And by the time he got to the other side, the people, people knew about it. You know, and so word would sp- spread fast. So these people, they've filled in uh, Jerusalem. They just, you know, Jerusalem is just overflowing with people. And they heard that Jesus is coming and his reputation precedes him. They knew that he'd done miracles. They knew that he'd fed multitudes and they were hungry. Some of them had been a part of some of those crowds. They knew that he healed people. He knew, he, they knew that he had raised, even raised the dead. They'd heard his teaching. And every time they heard his teaching, the people were astonished. They were amazed. They were hopeful. Something, something stirred in them like, like never before. And then he had these thousands of, of followers. And people lined the streets. And they were hoping. And they were calling out. Listen, folks, they were weary. They were worn out under the heavy hand of Rome. Rome was leaning on them so heavy and taxed them so heavy and kept such a fear atmosphere around them. And so they're probably saying, could he be the one? Could he be the one who frees us? Will he set up a new kingdom? You know, he keeps talking about a new kingdom. And so they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Say Hosanna. Hosanna. And in the the first form of Hosanna, it actually means this. Save, we pray. Save, we pray. They wanted him so bad to set up that kingdom and save them from all they were under. And then you have the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and their attitude was this. This has to stop. We've got to quiet this thing. They already did not like Jesus. Jesus made them look bad. Not even on purpose. They kept talking about stuff. He talked about stuff and did stuff. And if you'll read carefully through the Gospels, the only people that Jesus really had issues with were demons and religious leaders. And he he called them names at times. And and they just felt like this whole big event here, this is working against our authority. They envied his popularity. And they feared Rome because the way it was all structured, Rome had its hand on the Jews, but then they had Jews that were over the Jews. And... They feared that if this thing got out of control, Rome would say, what's what's the problem? You can't control people? We'll bring in more control. If you can't control your people, we'll bring in more control. And what's more, you can't control your people over this wandering nomad, nomad teacher? Then we'll bring in more control. 
And so in their panic and concern, then they call out to Jesus as he, as he passes by and they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now follow this. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And you know what Jesus said to them? He said, if I make these people be quiet, these rocks will cry out. Now, what does that really mean? It means because this is such a convergence of prophecy and of time and of space and the will and the plan of God coming together right here that it will happen. And there are certain things that God said would be spoken, would be uttered, would be cheered on this day. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. It will be declared here. And if I make these people be quiet, God will do something else, even if he has to have the rocks open their mouth and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you deal with people yelling it or something supernatural like rocks and trees and turtles or something, you know, yelling. And so either way, they knew that they had a problem. So the disciples weren't real clear. The crowds weren't clear. Pharisees weren't clear. They all had ideas of what this was. But Jesus really knew what it was. His destination was Jerusalem. And Jerusalem meant one thing for Jesus. Certain death. Certain death. And he was resolved to that. He knew it would take that. He knew that's why he was sent. And not a quick and heroic death either. We read in Luke chapter 18. It says, then he took the 12 aside. This is ahead of time and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. There's the destination and all things that are written by the prophets. There's the prophecy concerning the son of man will be accomplished for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again to say that Jesus died on a cross hardly describes it. It's excruciating. You ever had anything excruciating? The very root word of that is the same root word for crucifixion and excruciating. It's just horrible, just absolutely unbearable. Historians said of crucifixion, it's the least dignified, most horrible form of death. You ready for this? Worse than burning. Worse than burning. And it's not just the death that they were after. It was the pain that they were after and the shame that they wanted to cause. It was very, very public. It was viewed by passerbys. You were stripped naked, beaten unrecognizable. Crowds would gather just to taunt you, just for sport. And, and a little different than sometimes we see depicted in art, it, was, it actually happened very low to the ground. And there were spikes and ropes and whips and spears that were involved in this. And again, the goal was not just death. The goal was suffering. The goal was also humiliation. What they were after, you ready for this, was truly overkill overkill. We must destroy everything about this person. We must destroy how they look. We must destroy how they feel. We must destroy their life and not do it in an instant. It must be agonizing. And we must so shame and so humiliate them that we destroy the very soul. One of the writers said it melts the soul of those that are crucified, that it's overkill. And it's not pretty at all. It's a disgusting thing. Josephus, the first century historian, said it's the most wretched form of death. The Roman statesman Cicero said it's not to be discussed among civilized people. And honestly, very honestly, any further description of crucifixion just is not appropriate. It's not suitable. It's horrible. It's sickening. It's, a, it's obscene. It's offense, uh, offensive, disgusting. It's nauseating. It's not pretty. You know why? Because it's a penalty. 
It's a penalty. And I'll go ahead and bring it in. It's the penalty that had to be paid. And you were up to pay it. And I was up to pay it. Bear that in mind. Any symbol of the cross is sanitized. I love the cross. We don't worship the cross, but we better be very mindful of the cross. We've got a new cross there, and we've got a cross up front and cross out back. In my study at home, I've got a cross. We've got some in our home. Some of you have jewelry and, and decorations and different things. And again, we don't, we don't worship the cross. But we're so grateful what happened on that cross for us. But please know this, that any version of the cross that you and I would ever see is totally sanitized. Because the cross and the message of the cross is so offensive. Yet the message of the cross must be preached, church. The message of the cross must be preached. That Jesus was crucified for our sins. And the message of the cross is the centerpiece. It's the hinge pin of all the gospel and of the plan of God. The cross must be preached. And it is the symbol. It is the emblem. We proudly display the cross. Because without it, what needed to happen would not have happened. And we're thankful for what did happen upon the cross on our behalf. Amen? So here's the deal. Christ died for us. He took our place. Christ died for me. He took my place. Let me bring it a little closer to you. Christ died for you. He took your place. It's called substitutionary atonement. That means a substitute was involved to bring about your atonement. Where you were supposed to be and what you were supposed to be having to handle, God substituted and put somebody in there for that. And that was Jesus Christ. See, he died for you. Get this today. He took your place. Our sin had incurred God's wrath and demanded penalty and demanded payment. And that must be satisfied and that must be paid for. Let me, let me show you in a few scriptures here real quick. Are you with me this morning? I, I pray you're getting this in a fresh way today. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I, had, I also received, that Christ died for what? Our sins according to the scriptures. Prophecy again. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And watch this. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What he did is incredible. He did this for me. He did this for you. And it's the issue of sin. We've all sinned. Hello? We've all sinned. We have to talk about this. We've all sinned. The rest of it doesn't make sense unless we realize, yes, we've sinned. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And if we say we have not sinned, if this morning you'd say, well, I, I haven't sinned, you just added to your list. <laughs> now, I understand some people sin more than other people and some people sin different than other people and some, some people seem to sin faster than other people. Some people seem to have seasons. Some people are kind of like, have you ever seen that the national debt clock they have with the, just, just some people are kind of like that, you know, but here's the deal. We've all sinned and our sin, your sin, my sin, stay with me on this. Your sin and my sin incurred the wrath of God, a holy God. And it demands penalty and it demands payment. And that has to be satisfied. That has to be paid. And you and I, we just don't have it. We can't do it. And that's what Jesus came to do is pay for our sin. I, I read something recently and I thought, you know what, I want, I want to use this. And it told a story, and we'll tell the story today, of a courtroom. And if a courtroom is scary for you or you've been through a court situation, you're facing something, don't let this upset you today because guess what? This trial's going to end up very, very good, okay? And let me just set it up for you real quick. You have the devil who's the prosecuting attorney. Now, if you happen to be an actual prosecuting attorney here today, I am in no way calling you the devil. I actually thank you and applaud you because you're helping to hold back lawlessness, okay? I just, I wanted that to be said. Truthfully. In this story, prosecuting attorney, the accuser is also the one condemning. And he actually says to the judge, and the judge is the righteous judge, God. And who's on trial? You're on trial. For what? Your sins. You have to have an attorney. And your attorney? Well, 1 John 2, 1 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we're in the courtroom and the prosecuting attorney starts out and he says, on trial today is, fill in your name, please. On trial today is... Okay, it's you. Well, only three of you are playing with me today, so (laughs) try it one more time. So on trial today is, okay, there you are. And he says, and I would like to read the charges and tell you their sins. He did this, she did this, she said that. She said it again, she said it again. She says that a lot. Went there, did that, should have done that, never did. Look at that attitude. Wow, this attitude went on for days. Said that under his breath, but still said it, thought it, felt it. Should have done that. Knew they should have done it. Kept this, that, said that, dot, dot. Minutes roll into hours. Hours roll into days. Days go into weeks as he continues to read the charges of what you and I have done and done and done and done and done. And finally he says, you know what? I think I've made my point. And your honor, your own law says that he who sins must surely die. I submit that this one on trial should die. And you're on trial and you turn to your attorney, Jesus, and you go, I'm dead in the water. And he says, don't worry. And you say, what do you mean don't worry? I'm the one on trial. He says, hold on. I hadn't said anything yet. Prosecution rests its case and defense rises. Your attorney, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he says, your honor, may I approach the bench? 
And he says, you may. And he comes up to the bench. And I've seen TV. He leans on it. And he goes, dad, I mean, your honor. You and I both know that he or she did all of that and more. And, And let me just go back to this real quick too, because this adds to the, to what Jesus was fighting against, what you're fighting against. The same one who accused you and condemns you. If you remember back on the front end of it was the same one enticing you, deceiving you and tempting you. And Jesus said, we both know that he or she did all of that. But we also both know that I went to a cross. I took all of that on me. I paid every fine. I paid every penalty. I satisfied this. I move that this case be dismissed. And the judge raises the gavel and says, all charges are dropped. Penalties have been paid. Wait, 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 wait. Case dismissed. You are free to go. You're free to go. That's what this is about. Thank you, Lord. He did this for me. He did that for you. And the cross is disgusting and it's ridiculous and it's shameful. Because our sins were. And to say Jesus died on a cross hardly describes it. Just like saying I have sinned hardly describes it. So as I close this this morning. Let me just remind you of three things. That mark you forever. First of all. What you have done. Where you've messed up. Where you've sinned. Where you've failed. The sin, the shame, the pain, the brokenness that comes from that, that marks you. Second thing that marks you is what was done to you. Listen, all of us have been hurt in some way. There's nobody here that hasn't been hurt by somebody else. Sometimes they were careless. Sometimes they had their own issues. Hurt people hurt people. Some people were blinded by their own problems that they ended up bumping into you and messing things up for you. And then there's other people that are just evil. But all of us, none of us have escaped. All of us have been hurt. All of us have been marked by what somebody else has done. And we've been marked by what we've done. But there's one other thing that will mark us and it will mark us forever. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And what he has done is he took our sin, our shame, our pain, our brokenness, our failures, our guilt. He took all of that and he took it upon himself. I love this. And he absorbed the wrath of God. He absorbed the wrath of God. He paid our penalty in full so that you and I might be forgiven and might be free. Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem, knowing full well that it meant one thing, certain death. And when he did it, the book of Hebrews says that he endured the cross, he ignored the shame, and he did it for the joy that was set before him. And my prayer this morning, and this is just the beginning, this is just the introduction as we enter into this holy week. I pray that you don't just see it as a parade at the beginning of the week. I hope you see that Jesus was focused. The Bible says his face was set like a flint. He knew where he was going. He knew this was the time. He knew what he would accomplish. He knew that God would help him. He knew that there were legions of angels that would help to enforce to make sure that this happened. 
And he did it for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before him is you and I forgiven and free. And as we look at it today, that's what Palm Sunday was all about. It's the entrance to Jesus making sure that that happened for you and that it happened for me. And this morning, I for one am grateful. Did you get anything at all out of this today?